Good morning and happy Friday, everyone. It's Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you this morning. It is uh, one of those beautiful summer rainstorms this morning. <laughs> I'm I'm loving it. I got up early just to enjoy this today. It is Roadmap Roundup Friday, but before we get to any of that, we do need to begin our morning in prayer, and we continue today our Sacred Heart Novena. We are on day three of the Novena, so first we'll pray our morning offering, and then we will pray our Novena prayers, and I'm happy to be assisted in this the, uh, work of prayer this morning by Dan Vonderhaar and Corey Grizzle. So we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Day three, the heart of Jesus Christ desires to be loved. Jesus has no need of us, yet he loves us so much that he desires our love as if humanity was his God and his life depended on humanity. So urgently does he ask for our heart. My child, give me your heart, says Proverbs 23, verse 26. And this has been a quote from St. Alphonsus Liguori. Lord, I ask for the grace to be filled with a great desire and constancy to love you. Give me the strength to never again abandon your perfect and unceasing love for the distractions of this world. O my God, grant that our hearts may only exist to love you. Most Holy Virgin Mary, pray for us. May we fervently pray for all souls to draw closer to our Lord's sacred heart. O my Jesus, you have said, truly I say to you, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Behold, I knock, I seek, and I ask for the grace for those who do not know you to come to know you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in you. O my Jesus, you have said, Truly I say to you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Behold, in your name I ask the Father for the grace for those souls who have left the church to return to the church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, you have said, Truly I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Encouraged by your infallible words, I now ask for the grace to never leave your side. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in you. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, for whom it is impossible not to have compassion on the afflicted, have pity on us miserable sinners, and grant us the grace which we ask of you through the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, your tender mother and ours. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. 
and after this our exile, show us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that that we we may may be made made worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be with all of you this morning. I hope that wherever you are, it's a pleasant morning. Whether the skies are sunny or dreary or gray, you know, whatever the skies may bring, I hope in your heart, and uh, especially inspired by the Sacred Heart, it's warm and, and bright and cheery. Uh, Dan Vonderhaar, good to have you with us today. It's good to be here. You know, this rain dropped the temperature at least 10 or 15 degrees, which which now puts it in the low 90s. <laughs> 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 it was hot yesterday. Oh, uh, yeah. I came home from the opera last night about 11 o'clock. It was 90 degrees, says in my car. And so this morning was 74, so I was very much welcoming that. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. my math is right about on. It, it was. I mean, it was I 20 degrees. I, I was just going to say that, actually. We did so. not coordinate that. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. I got to tell you, before we go to the weather here, um, you know, the prayers, every prayer we pray, there's something we can learn from it. And there's something that can inspire us. And I love in the prayer today, Um, Lord, I ask for the grace to be filled with a great desire and constancy to love you. And how often do we think to pray for that? You know, we pray for desire to love God. We pray that we might love him. But do we pray for constancy? Because, you know, yesterday was one of those days. I've been thinking about this, and, and I shared this with some of our listeners yesterday, but I'll share it with all of you now, that it was very trying to be constant in my love for my children. We found <laughs> out that uh, the hard way that one of them sent a steel wool scrubbing pad down one of the pipes, and uh, the plumber was very clear there was only one pipe that could have gone down that it would have fit. And we found this out because it had been there for an unknown period of time, and finally everything was blocked, and when it can't go out, it just comes back up through the floor drain in the basement. And uh, as I spent two hours of my life in the mire, uh, really reflecting on Psalm 50, uh, I think it's 51, <laughs> cleanse me from my sin, oh Lord. Um, you know, uh, praying. praying I, I, Do you have a contrite heart? I, Beth, Beth said to me, she goes, what punishment will our children receive? I said, I'm not ready to talk about that yet because uh, right now the, the wrath of Adam will come down from on high. So let me have a few hours to go back to work and calm down uh, and then we'll, we'll have a little family meeting when I get home. And so... Uh, you know, it, it was also not just a good reminder to pray for constancy in, in loving our Lord, but constancy in loving my children. Um, it was also a really good reminder for me, and I think we're going to talk about this at, at some point today. You know, how often do we say, oh, I, I really need to get to that? You know, and home maintenance is one of those things that I think we find, oh, you know, I really need to get to that, and then we never do. And then something like this happens. I mean, I live in South City. We have old clay sewer pipes. I should probably have them inspected on a regular basis. And maybe if I would have done that, I'm not saying it was would have been foolproof, but maybe I, I could have avoided this before it became a disaster. Now, luckily, there is a, a great plumber. I, I can't say his name because we don't do business shout outs on the show. Um, but there's a great plumber that everybody in the neighborhood knows to call for this exact same thing. And he's like, I'll be there. You're my fourth stop today. And I'm like, great, he's coming. And uh, he got us out of a jam. But I was thinking to myself afterwards, I'm like, how often, how often when I need to get to confession, and I mean need to get to confession, do I say, ah, I'll get to that later. <laughs> now, what would, what would happen if instead of the disaster being the sewer backing up, I, I got hit by a bus or something? You don't know. If I would have known that the sewer was going to back up yesterday, I would have at least gotten everything up off the basement floor around it. But I don't know if I'm going to go out the door today and my life might be called and, and, and said, all right, Adam, your time's up. And once you die, you can't deal with it. There's no plumber in the world that can get nope. you out of a state of mortal sin after you die. <laughs> you know, So it's a good reminder, friends, if you need to get to confession, we don't know the day or the hour. So get to confession today or tomorrow. You know, tomorrow's Saturday. Most parishes have confession on Saturday. Don't wait. Don't delay. All of that from a Brillo pad. By right. The way. I mean, that's... And a plumbing job. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Maybe the steel wool is helping scrub my soul. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> so we've got a lot to talk about. Corpus Christi was yesterday, but we observed the uh, the solemnity of Corpus Christi on Sunday, and there will be so many processions, which uh, I think is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we're going to talk a lot about the Eucharist today on the Roadmap Roundup and how we can uh, quiet our hearts, how we can prepare to be in the presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. And we have some other special things that we're going to hear today as well. But before we get to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a look at today's weather. Today is the feast day of St. Emily de Valar. Born in France in 1797, her father was a doctor and she was the oldest of three children. The reign of terror, which claims so many French martyrs, had ended three years earlier, but the persecution of the Catholic Church continued. 1797 was also the year Napoleon took Pope Pius VI prisoner, sent him to France, and that's where he died a year later. When she was 13, Emily was sent to Paris to study, and her mother went with her, but on the trip became sick and died. Emily returned home and dedicated her life to serving the poor, inviting many of them to stay at her house. Her father, still grieving the loss of his wife, had turned the household over to one of his servants, who strongly disapproved of Emily inviting in these poor guests. When her grandfather left Emily an inheritance, she bought her own house and continued to work with the poor. Soon other women began to help and they formed a new community, the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Apparition. And in just over 20 years, they went from one house to 40. Emily traveled to Cyprus, Tripoli, and Beirut, opening schools and hospitals. But when she returned to France, she found that a businessman had stolen all of their money and Emily was forced to look for help, which she found through an appeal to Bishop Eugene de Mazenod of the Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate. Known as the Saint of the Poor, Emily died in 1856. Saint Emily de Velar, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. You know, they, they shouldn't give me access to the buttons to make the music go because I always forget we have those new podcast uh, reminders for you, which, by the way, I, I second everything that was just said there. Go and find the Saint of the Day podcast and subscribe to it and share it with friends. I mean, that's the best part about these things. We, we broadcast them on the air for you. And then we also make it available that if you say, hey, that was really great. I want to share that. We make it very easy for you to go online and find it and share. And it really helps us out a bunch if you click follow or like and subscribe or whatever the choice may be on your podcast player. We are talking about the Eucharist this morning here on the Roadmap Roundup. Dan Vonderhaar is with me, as is Corey Grizzle. And I want to start with this. Um, we, the three of us in our own right, have busy lives. Um, Dan, you're, you're at one stage of the game. Corey, you're in another. And, and I'm catching up, you know. But uh, we're, we're each busy in our own way. And yet we all three take the time to step out of that busyness and go spend some time with our Lord, whether that's arriving to church early before Mass to spend some time with our Lord who's present in the tabernacle or to go to the Adoration Chapel. Um, but I know for me one of the challenges of that is leaving the, okay, I've got to do this with the kids and then I've got to get this done for work and then I've got to drop the car off there and then I've got to go buy more chlorine bleach for the basement. <laughs> um, you know, all of these things. I have to quiet my heart when I spend some time with the Lord. So, Corey, what's what's something you do, one concrete thing that you do when you enter into our Lord's presence to just maybe remind yourself to, to put the outside world away from you for a minute? So, concrete thing, I absolutely take a minute and sit down, and then I get myself to kneel, and I, I put my head in my hands and I take the largest sigh mm. I can possibly take and just stare at the tabernacle at the crucifix and it, and it is a it is a cleansing peaceful feeling that I am here in the quiet in front of our Lord and I don't have to think one thing I just have to be there in the moment in the present and just let everything go. And I just, I, I, I do have a million things going through my head of the list of the things that we have to do and have to prepare for and have to uh, check off my list and we have to go here and how am I going to get this here, this kid here and that kid there and 
all these different things. And and just taking that that sigh before Mass, before the Eucharist, before the, you know, the Blessed Sacrament adoration is is a physical just feeling of cleansing for me. And so to get all of that out and then just sit there and stare and go, okay, this is what I need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's I kind got of a list. A, yeah, I have a list. Yeah. So, and, and um, in that hour of adoration too, because I do have just that hour of that either not thinking or trying to focus on something. And when I have my mind going a million miles an hour, my sister had a, a really great um, uh, idea, which she does in, in her hour of adoration is she takes her notebook or her journal or whatever and and she writes and she writes all of the things she needs to do. And she makes her list of all of the, um, I, I, just everything that's going through her brain that is like, okay, I have time now. I'm going to make my checklist of this, 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 and this. And then she closes it and she puts it away. And mm-hmm. she just says, okay, now I'm done. Now, now because I've, I've finally gotten this quiet moment that I forced myself to take and all of these things are going through my head. It's written down. It's done. I'm over here. And now I'm just sitting in the presence. Yeah, you can embrace that distraction. That's a, that's a, a technique when you're praying that works. Um, for me, I'm very easily distracted, particularly when I pray the rosary. And so I'm not meditating on what I'm supposed to be meditating on. So I will often just uh, say, fine, I'm going to embrace this distraction. And every bead becomes a person. Right, that bead is so, and that and that person leads me to the next person, and the next bead, and that bead leads me to the next person, and I just embrace it until I'm kind of back into that state. Mm-hmm. You, I am on board with your suggestion, Corey. Um, it is no different than what professional athletes do, right? Mm-hmm. When you're stepping into the batter's box, I don't care if you're eight years old playing pee wee or you're playing <laughs> at Bush Stadium, you have something you do to create muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Right to prepare yourself to get into the batter's box, preparing yourself to pray, preparing yourself for adoration, preparing yourself for mass is absolutely no different. So um, I take a very similar approach. I add a countdown from five. I just go five, four, three, two, one. Then the sigh, <laughs> and the, and I do it every time. Yeah. And so creating that muscle memory around that, it's the same thing we do to you know, create discipline in other areas of our life. And that is why it is so important for us to have good habits, because if we create the wrong muscle memories, um, you know, those Dan started us on this baseball analogy. I used to play recreational softball because uh, I'm not an athlete, but I got into a bad habit of getting into the batter's box. And when it came time to make an adjustment so that I would better hit the ball, it was difficult for me to make that adjustment. And, um, you know, it's no secret that it two years ago was the first time in the history of my family with my wife and children that I started going to Mass on Sunday with them and not going to Mass with the choir and the organ console and the cantor because that was my job. Um, Building those habits of what do we do when we get in the pew to call my attention to the Lord, to call my children's attention to the Lord. And I kind of view it, um, you know, when you go on the airplane and they say, in the event of loss of oxygen pressure, masks will fall down from the ceiling. Put your mask on first before helping your children. Um, I've adopted that same approach that for, you know, at least for the first 10 seconds when we get into the pew before mass or if we're going to make a holy hour, um, first I'm going to take 10 seconds to do exactly what you're saying, to, to just mm-hmm. let it all out. Just be in the presence. Soak in our Lord's presence and then turn to my children and say, all right, here's what we're doing. So one of the things I love to do kind of in that, and I try to keep it all very real, is I have this thing I call the chair prayer, right? Where as I'm sitting down into the pew, like I am literally physically getting ready to mm-hmm. sit down. I say in my head, I am about to commune with the creator of the universe, while I sit in this pew and mm-hmm. he is right there. That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Let's do this. Right. You know, and it's it's a it's it's a it's a very casual prayer, but mm-hmm. it's something I do a lot and it just kind of centers me. Right. It just gets you in it gets you into that um idea of this is a special sacred place and no matter how many children are crawling around me trying to figure out what seat they're gonna be in this is where we are right now, and, and I need to, to focus on that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really important for us to set that example for our children and 
Maybe, you know, you never know whose kids are watching you. If you don't have kids at Mass, you don't know whose kids are watching you. My kids might be watching you. And mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for the good example of so many of the, the parishioners around us. And uh, it, you can tell it's rubbing off on my children. Um, why devote an entire show to the Eucharist? Well, you know, that's a question you might be asking yourself today. Why devote an entire month to the Eucharist, which in some ways we do in June, even though it's the month of the Sacred Heart. It's uh, typically when Corpus Christi falls, and so we talk about the Eucharist and our Lord's presence and the Blessed Sacrament a lot in June. Well, for the next three years, beginning really yesterday, um, unofficially and officially on Sunday, we are being asked by the bishops of the United States to participate in a three-year period of Eucharistic revival, to uh, revive our faith in the Blessed Sacrament, our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament, um, to help build that faith among those who have lost it and to evangelize to those who do not know. And when you read the statistics about how many Catholics have lost their belief in the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, you can see that this is an urgent thing. And recently I had the opportunity to sit down with Bishop Thomas John Paprocki of the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois to talk about Eucharistic revival and some of the things that they are going to be doing in the Diocese of Springfield. And we aired that the other day on WTTT Springfield Catholic Radio. Um, the first part of that interview, I, I don't see the need to share with you this morning because it was very specific to Springfield. But the second part of this interview, there are a lot of important things covered about the priority of restoring and reviving our belief in the Blessed Sacrament that Bishop Paprocki shared with us that uh, Dan and Corey and I want to take some time this morning to step away from the microphones so that we can bring you these words from Bishop Paprocki. Why is this so important? I mean, I, I can think of several people in my life, in, in family and friends, who would say, oh, they're just making a big deal out of nothing. I mean, this is just a symbol or this is uh, just uh, an act of community and coming together, and that's what's important. Why is it so important to you and, and your fellow bishops to invest so much time and energy and money into Eucharistic revival? Well, because this is one of the central beliefs of our Catholic faith, and we want to make sure we get it right. So this goes back to our Lord himself. When he first started talking to the crowds about this, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life. And uh, people thought, well, I can't follow that. So they started to walk away from him. And, you know, Jesus didn't go and, and try to soft pedal it or say, you know, don't don't worry, I'm just kind of talking metaphorically here. He was very insistent that they understand that he really means it when he says, I'll give you my body and give you my blood so that you can have eternal life. So we want to make sure we get that right. And that's why we bishops of the United States spent a lot of time uh, last year in 2021 uh, with a document on the, the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church. And it's it's basically a teaching document. It, it starts out w- with talking about what do we believe and make it very clear that we believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. To to make no apologies for that, that that's you know that, that's what we believe. And then to talk about also how to prepare ourselves to receive that, because you know to receive our Lord into our hearts, we also have to be properly prepared and properly disposed is, is the phrase that we use in, in the church, which means to be in the state of grace, uh, because receiving Holy Communion when you're in the state of uh, mortal sin or serious sin is actually compounding the sin. It's committing a, a sacrilege. And, and so that's why, for example, uh, there's a beautiful prayer by, uh, by St. Thomas Aquinas that's usually p- prayed by priests, although ever, anyone can really say it. it's, a, it's a Thanksgiving after Mass. And, and the prayer says, let not this communion be uh, a condemnation uh, of my soul. Uh, and I, you know, some, if you don't understand the church's teaching, how can the Holy Eucharist can be a condemnation? Well, if you're receiving in the state of serious sin, uh, yes, then you're, you're committing a sacrilege. So that's why we also talk in the document being properly disposed and having, if you're in the state of serious sin, uh, the importance then of going to confession, receiving the sacrament of reconciliation, to have your sins forgiven. Uh, because we're all sinners, you know, but it's important that if we're in the state of serious sin that we first be absolved of those sins in confession. And then uh, to have a consistency between the way we act and, and the way we believe, and we call that Eucharistic coherence. So you can't, for example, say on Sunday that I'm a good Catholic, 
uh, and go to communion and then the rest of the week live in a way that's contrary to those Catholic beliefs. And I would imagine that's especially problematic when it incorporates a very public life. The example I've used before is if I were as a radio host to go on the airwaves and say, you know what, I know the church teaches this is a mortal sin, but I don't have a problem with it, and I think everyone should be free if they so choose to Mm -hmm. commit this act. Um, I'd be causing scandal, and it would bring a whole host of problems. And this is something that the bishops have addressed as well, this idea of those in public life having a responsibility not to act contrary to the faith. Yes, we've addressed that on a number of occasions. In 2004, we had a document from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, another document in 2006, which talks about being properly disposed and prepared for the Eucharist. And of course, last year, we talked about Eucharistic coherence. And for example, a Catholic who would say, oh, I'm a devout Catholic and is going to communion on Sunday and, and is trying to tell people that he or she is a Catholic in good standing, and then the rest of the week does things that are contrary to the Catholic faith, promoting abortion, for example, or or racist policies. You know, those would be things that a person would look at that and say, well, that seems inconsistent. How can you be a good Catholic and then espouse things that are intrinsically evil? And so that gives rise to what is rightfully known as scandal. Scandal, properly understood, is not just something that's shocking to others, but scandal is in the sense that, oh, if that person can do it, I guess it's okay. Maybe taking this closer to home, it, it's akin to a child saying, well, I've seen my parents do this all of the time. Right. And so if it's all right for them to do, certainly it's all right for me to do. And just because your parents break the rules doesn't necessarily mean it's all right for you to break the rules or for them to do it. Right. Actions speak louder than words. And so people learn from that. You know. Now, I, I'm a little unhappy with the way I phrase that because that leads into another misconception about pastoral charity and pastoral action, that saying you should not present yourself for Holy Communion while in a state of grave sin is looked at as a a punitive measure. Mm -hmm. Well, the the equivalent of me putting one of my young children in time out, but really this is something for the good of their soul, going back to what you said earlier, that receiving Holy Communion while in a state of mortal sin compounds that mortal sin, and we could condemn ourselves with unworthy reception of Holy Communion I wonder if you could speak for a moment about that, why this is not so much punishment. You don't get to be part of Holy Communion today, but really an act of of pastoral charity for the good of that person's soul. Well, yes, it is what we canon lawyers would refer to as a medicinal remedy. It's it's designed. I'm the son of a pharmacist, and so I grew up working in my dad's drugstore, and I know sometimes medicines don't taste that good. But sometimes you have to take the medicine because it'll actually make you better. It's similar in, in the church. Perhaps there's some measure that uh, may not seem that pleasant at the moment, but is really designed to help us in the long run. And that's what this is doing. Because to take a, an approach and say, well, you know, I don't want to make life hard for people, so I'll just let them keep doing what they're doing. Well, if we leave people doing things that are wrong, that's not really helping them. And in the end, that's not merciful and that's not loving either. Any parent will t- tell you the importance of sometimes discipline. I'm sure it's hard for parents sometimes to discipline their children. You'd, you'd, you'd like to always have everything uh, happy and, and feeling warm. Uh, but sometimes you have to be strict, and they're better off for that. But this is a long-standing tradition in the church. This is not something that we made up. St. Paul writes about it in his first letter to the Corinthians, about those who approached the Eucharist without being improperly disposed, that they're basically compounding their sin. And St. Justin Martyr, in the uh, second century, he was uh, martyred in 165 precisely because of his belief in the church. So, And in, in the Eucharist, he had... Very beautiful reading from St. Justin Martyr on the third Sunday of Easter. He's one of the first, he was a layman, but he was one of the first to really describe what the Eucharist was like in the early church. And he said, no one should share in the Eucharist if you do not share in our beliefs. And that was a very basic principle. And then we just had his feast day on June 1st, and there's a remarkable account in the Office of Readings in the Liturgy of the Hours, which is basically the transcript of his trial. And he is being tried by Rusticus, uh, who is the prefect of Rome at that time. And the prefect has orders. He's got all these Christians that have been arrested, orders to make them worship uh, the Roman pagan gods or put them to death. And so Rusticus apparently doesn't necessarily want to do this. So he's kind of pleading with Justin and his companions. So why don't you just give in? Why don't you just 
worship the Roman gods and, and you'll save your necks. Otherwise, I'm going to have to torture you and, and put you to death. And Justin is very clear, along with his companions. He says, no one who, who knows the truth would stoop to false worship. And it's just a, a beautiful example that, that he gives. And so he and his companions died. They were beheaded, uh, but they died for the faith and for their belief in the Eucharist. Wow. Now, there's another, perhaps the best word to use is distortion. Another common thing I've been seeing since this talk of Eucharistic coherence has really come front and center in our conversations in the Catholic sphere recently is this idea, well, didn't our Lord come precisely for the sinners? Isn't that exactly who he would want to receive him in Holy Communion, which has an element of truth to it, but that's not a complete picture? I wonder if you could speak to that. Right, because I've seen people misunderstand that, even to misunderstand a statement that Pope Francis made when he he said uh, something along the lines that the the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but it's a remedy for those who are are sinners, and that's true. And and you, this is in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that venial sins are actually forgiven when we receive Holy Communion, because you you can't be in communion with Christ and have any sins. On your soul. So if we only have venial sins in our, our soul, we can receive communion and they will in fact be forgiven. However, church teaching is also very clear that when you are in the state of mortal sin, mortal comes from the Latin word mortis, which means death. A mortal sin, you have broken your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is dead. And in order to revive that relationship, you have to go to confession and receive sacramental absolution. And that's the piece that people are missing. They say, okay, well, God forgives us. Yes, he does. But in that case of a mortal sin, it's not going to be the Eucharist that forgives you. It will be the sacrament of penance, which is also a great gift that our Lord gave to the church. I think so often of the analogies that St. John Paul II drew for us between the Holy Eucharist and marriage, and that if I were to have a rupture with my wife, that we got into a big argument or a fight, or you know, I was disrespectful to her, did something to hurt her emotionally, she would probably want to forgive me. She would probably want to reconcile with me, but that does not mean that I can just come home tomorrow as if nothing ever happened. There would be a process we would have to go through for that reconciliation. And our Lord, in his love for us and in his mercy, gives us a sacramental remedy called reconciliation precisely so that we as sinners, when we fall into that grave sin, could come back to be in communion with him. That's a good, uh, it's a w- wonderful analogy because basically you're, we're talking about our relationship with the Lord. So, and Christ used that analogy of a spousal relationship. He is the, the, the bridegroom and the church is the bride of Christ. And so, you know, your, your example there, if you, so if a, if a spouse has a minor misunderstanding with each other, you know, you could probably have dinner and maybe in the course of the dinner, you're kind of like, you know, even if you gloss over it, you can kind of make up. But if you had a the blowout fight where you're not even on speaking terms, with each other, well, then it's going to be a little harder to just sit down and have dinner and pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> There's going to have to be a reconciliation before you can do that. <laughs> Could I ask you to close our time together in prayer? Certainly. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the great gifts that you give us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to die for us and to save us from our sins and give us eternal life through his resurrection. We thank you also for the gift of Holy the Holy Spirit that you sent upon the church at Pentecost. And we ask you as we begin these three years of Eucharistic revival that we will help to grow in our understanding and appreciation of the Eucharist as you give yourself body, blood, soul, and divinity into our hearts. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bishop Paprocki, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You're welcome. There was a lot to digest there, so we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. We'll continue our Roadmap Roundup after this. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. We are back, and we are talking about the Blessed Sacrament and preparing our hearts to be with our Lord in adoration or in prayer in the church, um, and also preparing ourselves, not just spiritually, but also physically, 
to receive Holy Communion. Well, Adam, what do you mean by that? I'll share a story with you. We have our Sunday morning routine since we, uh, you know, much to my wife's chagrin, and and we've been talking about this lately, we've kind of settled on being 8 o'clock mass people um, on Sunday morning, you know, and, and it works out and we have our Sunday morning routine. But that means I have to count backwards because I take medication in the morning and the medication I take has uh, a very, very bitter taste. And I have a, a really wimpy gag reflex. So if I try and take the, this medication with water, it, it doesn't ever go well, which means I have to take it with something other than water, which means I have to be very conscious of what time it is because I'm not an early riser. On, so I get up early enough but just about early enough. So I have to count everything backwards to make sure that I keep my Eucharistic fast. And even in that, I, I don't say to myself, well, you know, you got to drink this to take the medicine, so you might as well have an all-out breakfast before you go to Mass. I want to desire our Lord more than anything else in the morning. So we intentionally do not eat. Even if we're late and we're going to 1030 Mass, we don't eat before we go to Mass. And that's something we do to prepare ourselves in the right household. But it's more than that. You know, one of our daughters recently uh, made her first Holy Communion and spent a blessed spring and, and early summer. And there are some learning curve things that we've had to go through with her. And one morning, it was one of those mornings we were rushing out the door to get to Mass. And we didn't do as good of a check of the kids as we should have. Like, they all had socks and shoes on and appropriate clothes on. What we didn't notice that was that our daughter's hands were covered in blue marker. And I mean, she looked like a smurf from from the wrist to the fingertip. And when we got to church and noticed this, I leaned over to her and I said, honey, I don't think you should go up to receive Holy Communion today. And she said, why? And I said, well, are you comfortable yet with how to receive on your tongue? And she said, no, no, she's not. She's just, she has a little disconnect there. And uh, right now it is permissible for her to go up and make a throne with her hands to receive our Lord in Holy Communion. And I said, well, your throne's not worthy because it's got blue marker all over it. And, you know, I said, I get it. I've been there before that, you know, something happens and I had to pick something up off the ground and my hands got mud on them. And I'm not going to go up and, and have our Lord placed in my hands that are covered in mud. You know, And so then after Mass, we had a really great conversation about why it's so important to make sure that we are ready before we even walk out the door of our house. And, you know, even the little kids who aren't quite at that age of reason yet were like, oh, so we do have to wash our hands? And I'm like, well, yes, all the time you should be. But especially, you know, we have to be prepared. So uh, that's kind of what we do is we have the Sunday morning checklist, but Everybody does it differently. So, Dan, what, what about you? What's your checklist as you get ready to receive our Lord in Holy Communion? Yeah, I really like getting into the right state to receive our Lord by watching other people reverently receive our Lord. You know, it, it just you, you see the examples being set for you as you prepare, and that is... I want to make sure I'm worthy, right? And I want to be worthy like all of and, and there's, you know, you know folks at church, and you know there's some really holy people that you aspire to be like in your parish. And I'm watching them, and I'm thinking about their life, and I'm seeing them receive Christ. And it, and it just reminds me that I aspire, you know, to be holy as well. I aspire to be a saint as well. So... I do that, and then I do the same thing after I come back and I, and I, I give thanks. Um, I just pray for all those people that are still receiving you know, Christ. Corey, I want to ask you this question because you, you and I are in uh, that, that parenting mode a lot when mm-hmm. we go to Mass. And I think of one Sunday that, you know, my checklist, the Adam Wright checklist, I, I was, you know, in a state of grace. I had actually gone to confession the day before um, specifically to be in a state of grace. I kept my fast. I was reading the readings all week to get ready for Mass. And then when we got there, I had a squirrely four-year-old that just would not stop bouncing all over the place. And so I spent most of Mass in the vestibule of church, listening on the speaker, watching through the window while I I felt like I had a four-year-old bungee jumping (laughs) off my arms. And it got to the point that I was trying my best, but I was so distracted that I finally made the decision when it came time to go up for communion. You know, today, 
my attention's not in a place. I, I didn't feel that it was appropriate for me right. to go up. And that can be a very daunting thing because we live in, in this day and age where people might look at us and say, well, why isn't Adam going up to receive holy? what mortal sin did he commit yesterday? Right. All eyes and, are and, on and, you. And we got, first off, I want to say, it, don't ever look at someone who's not right. going up to Holy Communion and ask that question. That's not our place <laughs> yeah. to do. And don't ever feel the pressure that you have to go mm-hmm. and then get yourself in a bad situation because of peer pressure. Right. You know, but, but what do you do? How, do? how do you make that decision on... Should I should I go forward to receive today? You know, sometimes I've made that decision at the last minute, like mm-hmm. you did that day. You were all prepared to go, and then for whatever reason, you just did not feel like you should present yourself. And um, and sometimes, if I have particularly a mass like that, and and actually, I'll, I'll be honest, it's my husband that's out there in the vestibule with the four year old. Um, but uh, but there are some times when I'm completely distracted, and I was totally prepared. And and but but also sometimes I say, I just tell myself this is this is what I need right now I do need those graces and and I've prepared myself although I don't feel like it I I should probably go and and the opposite has occurred too where mm-hmm. I've just I prepared myself so well and I sit there in in the mass and I just say you know what I just feel like I I need to appreciate the the privilege of receiving our Lord just a little more and and then whether that means that. I'm going to make an effort to come to daily mass that week or that I just I'm going to pray a little more that week and just really try and appreciate this a little bit better. But you really do kind of have to get over that feeling of everybody staring at me and wondering why I'm sitting in this in this pew right now. <laughs> and, you know, that's OK. Um, so uh, what you know, whatever it, to, to get over that and, and to just really understand yourself. I've done the same thing, Corey. And what I find when I do that, first of all, it's a tough decision, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, that last, you know, nanosecond before you make that decision, it's tough. It weighs on you. But what I found is that when I choose not to, my anticipation for the next time mm-hmm. that I have the privilege to receive Christ in the Eucharist is always fantastic. And I think sometimes when we get in that mindset that, Whenever we go to mass, we must receive. Whenever we go to mass, I have the right to receive. Then, then that's when my pride gets in the way, and I go, nope, nope, nope. I'm, I'm just not even. We're gonna, we're gonna reset yeah. and and go next week. But well, the, the obligation is to go to mass. That's really important because it, when we talk about this, it makes me think of my dean of students at St. Louis U High when I was a freshman. The right to, the, the, you do not have a right to attend St. Louis University High yeah. School. It is a privilege <laughs> to attend. We don't have a right to receive Holy Communion if we are in a state of mortal sin. And in fact, the church very clearly teaches, do not present yourself for Holy Communion, to receive Holy Communion if you are in a a state of mortal sin. Our Lord offers this gift so freely, and he offers so many great ways sacramentally for us to come back into communion with him. Um, but, But we have to get out of that mindset sometimes, and that's an important thing. But this is what I love about Corpus Christi. I want to bring this all back here for a second. We're about to, on Sunday, in many parishes, go out on these processions through the community. And I remember we we actually went to Mass the other week at the neighboring parish because we didn't get out the door in time for 8 o'clock Mass. And the pastor made a comment about, you know, last year we had the procession and there's a bakery, a very popular bakery cafe that was along their Corpus Christi route. And he goes, and I think a lot of people there were like, who are those people and what are they doing? And what a great testament it is to say we have this belief. Uh, the song we heard before the break, O Sacrament Most Holy, um, that it, when we can keep that proper perspective each and every day of the true gift that our Lord's presence. I mean, if you think about this, uh, we were talking about this in the studio the other day. God, we say God is everywhere because God impacts everything that happens in the world. Uh, if God stopped thinking about us, we'd vanish, you know, right? That, that, that's what they taught us as kids. Um, but the only place that God occupies time and space right now is in sacramental presence mm-hmm. of the Blessed Sacrament. You know, God who influences everything chooses to be sacramentally present in time and space in the tabernacle at your parish and at my parish. And what a great gift that is. And so these questions we're asking you to ask this morning about are you 
prepared? Are you ready? And I don't want to knock the Todd Grizzles and Adam Wrights of the world that are that are wrestling the fidgety four-year-olds <laughs> and three-year-olds out there. You know, the fact that you're going to mass and, and wrestling with your squirrely kids is a very, very, <laughs> very good thing. Um, and you know what? Sometimes that means that I'm going to say to my wife, can I go back to mass tonight <sighs> so that I can go have a chance to pray? And she very lovingly and graciously says yes. You know, sometimes that's what it takes. But asking these questions is a very good thing. We're going to stop here to get you one more check of the weather, and then we've got our daily dose of encouragement, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. We are wrapping up this week on fatherhood here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And as we get ready for Father's Day Sunday, Patty Schneier is here with us with one more dose of encouragement on this topic. Well, I couldn't let this week go by without sharing three favorite short stories about my own dad. And I'm probably going to cry <laughs> as I even get started saying this, but because my dad truly did reveal to me the love of God without ever knowing it in these three instances. And that's why I want to share these stories. The first, I remember one of my earliest memories is when I was three years old and I was dancing on my dad's feet. He just let me step up onto his shoes and told me to grab onto his legs. And we were just dancing together. And in that moment, what that taught me was he was revealing that he delighted in me. We were giggling and twirling and that the father really does delight in his children. And so again, one of my very most precious memories of when I was about three or four years old. The second memory I have of, of as a young child with my dad was when I got lost at the mall. I was lost. I went into a side little store, told the lady I was lost, and I remember hearing my name over a loudspeaker. And the next thing I know, I see my dad standing in the middle of the mall, looking to the right and looking to the left, frantically running, running to find me, to come after me. And when I saw my dad, I remember just running as fast as I could to him, and he swooped me up in his arms and said, come on, let's go home. And I remember that so vividly. And what that taught me again is how God is always coming after us when we get lost, when we sin, when we've lost our way. The Father is, he, my dad was frantically searching for me. God is coming after us and he just can't wait to swoop us up in his arms and say, come on, let's go home. The third little story that my dad did that revealed the Father's love to me, and this is a silly story. You may think it was ridiculous, but it showed so much to me as a child. We were sledding. We were going down a hill and we were on a, a metal saucer spinning and spinning and spinning. And believe it or not, we were headed straight for a pole, a volleyball pole. And there was no time to bail. My dad, we were backwards to it and all of a sudden my dad saw it. So what did my dad do? He lifted up his arm and, and, and protecting me. And what happened was, is my dad hit that pole right in the ribs and he broke two ribs it was a terrible sledding accident, but the reason he broke his ribs was because he had lifted up his arm to protect me, and that's where I knew that God loved me. Again, my father loved me so much that he was willing to take the hit for me, and as an adult, I look back on that knowing that Jesus Christ and God the Father was willing to take the hit for me, suffer to protect me, to rescue me, so that I wouldn't have to suffer the pains of hell. So these three little stories from everyday life, fathers, you have no idea when you sacrifice for your daughter, when you delight in your daughter, when you come after her when she's lost, when you go get her when she's done something wrong, but you show her how much you love her, you really are revealing the love of God. So happy Father's Day out there, and Dad, I love you, and thank you for those lessons. This has been a wonderful week of encouragements here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And if you would like to share them, don't forget to follow the Daily Dose of Encouragement podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can click like and subscribe and be notified when a new podcast hits. And then you can share it with all of your friends. Patty, thank you for being with us this week. And thank you for wishing us dads a happy Father's Day. All right, we are back, and I want to wrap up with this today. Um, I received recently this book, and in it, it, right at the beginning, it says, Mercy Requires Acknowledging Sin, and, and we talk about the, the great love. We've you know been talking about the Eucharist today and our Lord's present in the Eucharist, presence in the Eucharist, but we've also been talking about his mercy so that we can be in communion with him and receive him 
into our bodies, such an intimate act to receive him into our bodies. Um, but we talk about the mercy God offers so that we can be prepared for that. And the catechism says in question, uh, the compendium of the catechism of the Catholic Church, question 391 asks, what does the acceptance of God's mercy require from us? The answer, it requires that we admit our faults and repent of our sins. God himself, by his word and his spirit, lays bare our sins and gives us the truth of conscience and the hope of forgiveness. God himself, by his word and his spirit, lays bare our sins and gives us the truth of conscience and the hope of forgiveness. And I think that's why we've been focusing our conversation so much today on preparing ourselves to receive our Lord in Holy Communion. Um, To do so means we have to let go of our pride and we have to accept humility because if we did not sin, why would we need a Savior? And yet we do sin. And we do need a Savior because as much as my great days may be great, they're nothing in comparison to the grace of God and his salvific sacrifice, his saving paschal sacrifice, the salvific work he has accomplished. Um, Adam Wright's not going to save souls. Adam Wright's hopefully going to point some souls to Jesus who is going to save them. Um, But if you're relying on me, your your, your uh, eggs are in the wrong basket there, Dan Vonderhaar. So that's that's what I want to say about that. The, the biggest encouragement I want you to take away from today is work and strive to be holy so that you can not just be in communion with our Lord, receiving him in the Eucharist in this life, but that you might be in everlasting communion with him in the next life. Um, as we wrap up today, I also want to echo what we just said in the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Father's Day is also Sunday, and uh, five years ago, the best Father's Day present I ever received. I actually had a daughter born on Father's oh, Day five years ago, cool. and her birthday's tomorrow, so uh, I want to wish my Nora a happy birthday. But to all the dads out there, Dan, and then Corey, please tell Todd, Dad, and, yes. and to all of you fathers listening, um, you have such an important role and such a wonderful role that God has entrusted you with in your vocation. And I want to thank you for living that witness of faith and encourage you to keep striving to be holy because I think we often forget how impactful, especially for not just fathers of sons, but for fathers of daughters, how much our example and our testament means to our daughters. So tell your kids you love them and then kind of soak in some of the love they're going to give to you this weekend on Father's Day. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to close the show by saying, you know, we are in our 25th anniversary year here on Covenant Network, and we're going to be celebrating that next week. So tune in for our mini radiothon uh, Tuesday through Thursday, June 21st through 23rd, as we celebrate 25 years of Covenant Network. Until then, I'm Adam Wright. I'm Corey Grizzle. I'm Dan Vonderhart. Thank you for listening to Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Pray your rosary today. <laughs>